like to bring a message this morning out of the uh, Jesus Upper Room Discourse, or some call it the, his Farewell Discourse, and uh, that would have been in John chapter 13 to 17, and so something all in one setting. We see his different discourses that he taught. The parables would be a, a discourse that he, his first discourse and the, uh, the kingdom or the Sermon on the Mount was the first one. The parable kingdoms was the second discourse that he taught. And the third one was when he was on top of Mount Olives and looking over Jerusalem and gave a uh, discourse on the end of all things. And then he has the last one of the upper room discourse. And that's where this text is taken from. It's the longest of them all. And it's given in the upper room there just before the, the last Passover instituted the new uh, communion, instituted communion service, and then he goes into this special teaching to his disciples uh, alone. It's not a public setting, this is a private setting, and private instruction that he's giving, and what he shares to them is special, and we can claim it today. We This uh, intimate setting that he has, we can join in, we can be part of this, and we're privileged this morning to be part of this private teaching that he gave to the 11. Actually, this is the night before his crucifixion. And in chapter 14, he says, uh, when they leave the upper room, he says, arise, the last verse there in 31, it says, arise, let us go hence. So he's leaving the upper room. Judas would have just left and he would have went uh, probably walking to the Pharisees at that when Jesus is teaching this. And in chapter 18 is where we see Jesus entering into the garden. So he's entering into the garden. So chapters 15, 16, and 17 are just in between here. And I believe Jesus is on the way to the garden. And when we see this picture, I wonder if he wasn't walking through a vineyard when he touches on this subject of the vine and the branches, of giving a visual uh, to his illustration that he goes into. So there's a couple things that the disciples were troubled by. And one of them was in uh, Jesus nearing his crucifixion and, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Jesus would tell his disciples that he's going to be going, leaving them. He's going to be leaving them. And this, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't getting this. You know, they just left everything. I mean, you know, they left their fishing nets. They left the tax Booth was, the, he left there and they left all. They left all. And now he says they're going to be leaving. He's going to be leaving them. You know, what are they supposed to do now? You know, what are they, how are they supposed to continue? Uh, probably would have been pretty nice to, to walk with Jesus for those three years and see the miracles and actually be part of some of the miracles, the firsthand miracles. But this is something that disciples were wrestling with. Jesus says, He's going to leave them. And also, just, just in the upper room, he said that one of you will betray me. One of you betray me. And that's, you know, they were scratching their heads like, you know, is it I? Is it I? And so I believe that Jesus is addressing these two questions when we look at this teaching in John chapter 15. He gives them a picture. He gives them an illustration of the vine and the branches. And it's, it's going to help them to see that there's still going to be a connection after he leaves. After I will leave, I will take care of you. 
after I physically leave you, there will be a spiritual connection. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. It's a connection. This connection is going to be different because it won't be physical, but it's going to be the same in a spiritual sense. And that is the, the key here is in the abiding. And that's the title of the message, Abide in Me. Abide in Me. <clears throat> Jesus says, if you abide in Me, I'm going to supply everything that you need. You know, in the chapter prior, in chapter 14, he says, my peace I give you. Jesus promised to supply them with peace. In this chapter, we're going to see that Jesus is promising that he's going to give them his joy. And in chapter 16, he goes into some detail in the holy teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we see he gives, he's going to give them guidance and direction. The Holy Spirit's going to be a comforter. So... The, uh, Jesus, there's, there's going to be a connection. You know, Jesus, what it's saying is he is the only source. What this, what this teaches us is that Jesus is, is the only source. So even though Jesus will be at the right hand of the Father and the disciples will be on earth, there could be, there, there could remain, they could remain connected to him. And, and that's the same for us today. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in the same way this illustration shows us that we can have this connection. It's a vivid picture of the vine and the branches illustrating how this relationship works. Let's turn to John chapter 15. In verse 1 it says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is a cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, but the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth 
go and, and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So here we have the picture of the vine and the branches. So this morning what we want to do is we want to first look at the picture of the vine and the branches. We want to break it down. We want to look at the vine, the vine dresser, the husbandman, and then the branches. And we're going to look at the fruit. We're going to look at uh, the uh, pruning and the uh, and applications to the pruning, the fruit, and the abiding. And then we're going to spend a good bit of time in the abiding. I believe that's the gist of the message. And lastly, we're going to look at the promises that are in here for the abider. Promises that are in here for the abider. So it starts here out as I am the true vine. And this is the last of Jesus' statements when he gives the I am's. There's seven of them in John, seven of them. And I believe it goes back to his deity. It, it points to his deity. I am. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the door of the world. I am the door, light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now we have the I am the true vine. And they all go back to the, his deity. It goes back to when when uh, God said to Moses, you know, you tell them that I am that I am. And he's, he's, he's the all-existent one. He is the uh, eternal one, the one that always was, the one that always is, and the one that always will be. And what God was saying to Moses is, I am God and I'm all you need. And what Jesus is saying in this statement is, I am I am the true vine. I am Jesus. I am all you need. I am, I am your source. I am all you need. The true vine. He says, I am the true vine. He is the, uh, that means there's counterfeits. There's, uh, the, he's not just a vine, but he's the true vine. You know, Jesus is, uh, is the, only, the only vine where the sap f- contains the grace of God flowing into the branch. And that's the only way the grace of God can come into our lives. We need to be connected to Jesus. That's the grace. That's the channel from which God's grace flows into our lives. To be disconnected from this vine, there's no grace. It's a disconnect from Jesus means disconnect from God and from his grace. This picture shows us that Jesus is the only source. Now in the Old Testament... Israel was described as the vine in, in different places. We see it in Ezekiel uh, as an empty vine. Psalms just talks about uh, the defective vine. Isaiah gives a de- description of this uh, uh, fruitless vine. And in, in, in Isaiah, we have a, in Isaiah chapter 5, I don't think we'll turn to it, but he's, it's, he's described, Israel's described as my, my vineyard. God saying, my well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And God, had, he, it says how he dug it, and he cleared the stones, and he planted it with the choice vine. And he built a tower in it and made a wine press. And he, ex, all that to expect good grapes. That's what you would expect going into all that work. Then it goes on in Isaiah 5 and says, but it only brought forth wild grapes. 
And in Isaiah chapter four, uh, yeah, chapter five, verse four, it says, "You know, God saying, what more could have I done?" God gave them every advantage, and the vine yielded evil fruit. And then He says, "What shall the Lord of the vineyard do?" And take away its hedge and remove the tower. Let the weeds and the briars grow, and let others take over the vineyard. It would be destroyed. Israel became unfruitful. They became unprofitable. They rejected the Messiah. They, it was prophesied by the prophets. They were supposed to bring forth fruit. And God did everything for them that they could to, to do that. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, but they didn't do that. So they didn't do what God intended. So in contrast to Israel, Jesus says, I am the true vine. The real, the real deal, the real one, the fruitful vine, the one the Father has entrusted to me, to this mission, and he's fulfilling it. The Messiah and his, as the Messiah and his son, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So we'll come back to it again. But let's look at the husbandman. Different translations would use the vine dresser. Is God the Father? God the Father, it's, you know, the, the Trinity, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you think about, we want to th the, the word God the Father. Father is mentioned many times in John. In John 14, I believe it's mentioned in every other verse, and maybe more than that. And this chapter here, Father's mentioned quite a bit. But the vine dresser is the farmer. He's the one that tends the grapes. He oversees everything. He tills, he plants, he prunes to stimulate. He's the caretaker of the vineyard. He's the owner, too. He owns it. Everything that we have comes from God the Father, the husbandman. It says, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches and, uh, on the vine, and God is the husbandman. He's the one that cares He's the one that goes out early in the morning and, and meticulously goes, and goes into detail to care for the vineyard. So it will bring forth more fruit. More fruit. God is actively involved in our lives this morning, in our spiritual lives, and it's all about spiritual growth. Notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There's two things that an orchard will do. An orchard tender will do. He'll, find, he'll go out and find the dead wood or the, the, uh, the, the one with no sap in it, and he'll, it's, he'll cut it out. It's dead. He takes it away. It's going to harbor disease. It's not profitable. He takes it out, and he burns it. And secondly, he trims back branches that have sap in it, and so it encourages more growth. And we know... Uh, uh, Vineyards, you know, or any, any type of plants, you trim it back and it's going to, it stimulates growth. It's going to grow more. And that's what this uh, vine dresser does, that God the Father, the kind of care that the, the Father has for you and I, he's a loving Father. He's, he's, he, he's about cleansing us and making us clean and to uh, cut away that dead wood, that dead wood. He's He's, yes, it might hurt, it might, it's going to cut some good wood out, but it, it's all, the intent is for more fruit. So we have the, uh, the vine dresser, then we have branches. Now we see two kinds of branches here. There's uh, different, there's different the, the only thing different is the one bears fruit and the other doesn't. 
The one has life in it and the other doesn't. So one way to tell, you know, if you go out you, at this time of the year or later in the winter, you, you go out and there's no leaves in the branch to, on, a, on a bush or whatever, and you, to tell if it's dead or not, what do you do? You, you, you take it and you, you'll spend it. And if it's green and it has sap in it, you know, it's going to bend pretty far. And then you, when it breaks, you'll see it's green and it's life in it. You can tell. And when it's dead, uh, it, it, you break that, and it's going to snap very quickly, and it's dry, and you can tell if something has life in it or not. By, but, you know, God, I don't believe, has to do that. You know, and neither do we. When you th- the Bible says, by your fruit, by their fruit, you shall know them. I believe fruit will be visible. Fruit is visible. You know, you don't go up to a, a, a grapevine and say, well, you know, I know there's a grape in that branch somewhere. No, because the, the grapes will be seen. The grapes are visible. We can see them. We're able to see the fruit hanging. You know, it might be in the bud stage. It might be very small, but you will see fruit. It's visible. So there's branches with fruit and with no fruit. In verse uh, 2, it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And then we go down to verse 6. It says, if, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. It's, it's simply talking about a branch with no fruit. A branch with no fruit. They're gathered and burned. And the reason is there's no fruit on it. So it reminds us of the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, the Lord says, let them grow together. Let them grow together. There's be too much damage done to the wheat to try to pull all the tears out. Just let them grow together, and at harvest, they'll be gathered together, gathered up and burned, the tears. So, uh, so we see the branch, there's a branch without fruit, and there's a branch with fruit. And the with fruit, you know, is a true Christian with visible fruit, and it's the evidence of a true disciple. This fruit gives us assurance of salvation. We're going to see that. But these branches get pruned. These good branches get pruned. You see, it's either they get, they're pruned or they're burned. And we, can, we can't miss how God is actively involved. God is actively involved in our lives. And the goal is more fruit. Now, why would he prune back growth? Why would he cut a good branch back? Simply for more growth. More growth. He removes dead wood. And, and that makes way for more, for more growth. He will cut diseased wood out so the rest of the tree can thrive. It's all about maximizing fruit in our lives. Pruning means cutting. Anything that hinders our spiritual lives. Sometimes it's cutting good wood. Simply for more growth. You know, it's interesting how you can cut a, a, a something like a, just a, take a hydrangea bush. You can cut it back very, very small. And how quickly that will grow back to its, its size that it was, bigger than it was. You know, and it's, it's it, when you think about this can be encouraging to us. The pr- when you think about pruning, not that we like pruning on, going on in our lives, but it expands. It helps explain why we go through some difficult times at times. God uses his pruning shears. God prunes. Uh, so how does he prune? How does he prune? When you're thinking about talking about 
pruning the good fruit-bearing branch. How does God do that as the vine dresser? Well, I believe, number one, the pruning shears that he uses is the word of God. You know, it says when you're, when you're, when you're in the word, um, when you're committed to the word, and that's when God's going to do a deeper work in your life. And the word of God is, is alive, it's active, it's, it, and it's, it's uh, as Hebrews says, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when we're in the word, we hear the word, it brings conviction, we repent, we, uh, it brings about more fruit, more fruit. That's the, one of the ministries of the word of God, one of the ways, and one of the ways God prunes through his word. Trials is another one. You know, we all go through trials. Trials usually aren't fun. Trials can hurt. We can suffer through trials. They can cause pain. James says, you know, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There's, different, uh, there's many different kinds of trials and temptations and testings. Uh, but God, one thing that we know, and we could turn to a lot of, lot of scriptures that would tell us that. That as a Christian, we will endure a lot of types of trials and temptations. But one thing we know through them all is that God is the husbandman. God controls the thermostat. You know, I think we need to be careful when we say, why did this happen to me? You know, it's, just, it's likely it's the pruning shears. It can hurt. But it's, you know, but just... But wait a little bit and see the fruit. God is all about fruit. God loves us and he is after our best interest. And all things work together for good for those who love God. So God providentially controls uh, circumstances. You know, there's, maybe there's something too important in our life and God is going to take it away. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's... Uh, God providentially controls circumstances, and he has a master plan, and he prunes us back accordingly. And it's for all about spiritual growth. Another way that God uses the pruning shears is discipline. Discipline. Hebrews tells us, if you endure chastening, if, if you endure chastening God dealeth with you as a son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, chastening is not always fun. Children don't always enjoy chastening, do they? But this tells us that if we are a son, a child of God, a son of God, we will experience the chastening of the Lord. It's, it's, uh, and it's intended to make us more fruitful. You know, uh, I believe it can be humbling at times to be cut back. So pruning can happen different ways. You know, God is in control. It can happen by the word. It can happen by trials. It can happen by chastening. But prunes us for more fruit because he loves us and he's committed to our growth. 
What he wants is more grapes, and he wants a lot of them. You know, more grapes is a, um, when you think about production, more grapes is a reflection of the farmer, isn't it? You know, more fruit, uh, you look at the crops, you know, the bushels of corn per acre, you get a high, a high production, you know, it's a reflection on the farmer. He did things right. Yes, he needed the, the good weather and stuff to go along, but more fruit in a Christian's life is a reflection of the husbandman of God the Father working in our lives. We can't miss how God is involved in our spiritual lives. We can't miss how he's involved in our sanctification. He prunes us for more fruit. More fruit, that's what he's after. Now what is fruit? What is fruit? When we think about uh, fruit, Galatians, we think of right away the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And, uh, and it goes on. But this is, this is the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that is character of Jesus. I believe the fruit can also be Christ-likeness. You know, uh, I like to think of it as being like Christ. Little Christ, the character of Jesus. To be more like Jesus. To be, how was he? He was humble. He was meek. He had pure motives. He had selfless desires. He had, his character was just impeccable. And to be Christ-like, I believe, if we think about this illustration of the vine and the branches, you know, we're connected. The branch is connected to the vine. The sap is coming through the vine, from the roots of the, through the vine into the branch, and it's, it's going, the, the fruit is going to be Christ-likeness. It's through, we're connected to Jesus. You know, uh, when you think about how long it takes for grapes or for fruit to, be, to, to grow, you know, I'm not sure what the, the time it takes for, from the bud stage till the grapes are ready to eat. But, you know, there's a little bit of a, a time elapse. You know, you go out and you see a bud stage, and then you see the little tiny grapes there, and then you, then you see the grapes starting to maybe change color, and then you see, and then, you're re- then they're ready to pick and eat. They're a juicy, nice, tasty grape there. But, you know, it took some time. It took some time. Those grapes didn't just happen one day. And I believe, like, in, in our lives, in the Christian lives, these grapes, this fruit, it can take some time. You know, but I believe God does his part. And we're going to talk about our part in a little bit. But God does his part to do everything he can, just like he did for Israel. What more could have I done? Isn't that what he's doing for us today? He'll prune and prune to the fact, to the place that what more could have I done? It, the rest is in li- rely, relying on our part. But it is what I want to say. It's a lifelong process. This growing, this bearing fruit. We, you know, and, and like to think of it as bearing fruit. We're not producing fruit. We're just connected to a vine. This vine is where, we, where the sap comes from. And the, uh, the branch, we are the branch. We don't produce it on our own. We don't manufacture this fruit on our own. It's not that we have to work hard to do this. It's just about staying connected. Staying connected. Did you ever go through an, uh, an apple orchard and hear a branch in an apple tree groaning to bear an apple? 
just don't, it just hangs there. All we have to do is hang there and let the, 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 uh, let it happen. Branches are not stressed out making grapes. They just hang there and they stay connected and the fruit comes. You know, and it, it goes along with uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It doesn't say make your light shine. It just, it says, let your light shine. It comes, it's not, we're not the source. We just, we just have to be and the same thing here is abiding. It, it's, it, the secret is in abiding. Abiding. Abide in me, Jesus says. We need to just stay connected. Stay there. All we have to do is stay there. And that's our responsibility in this picture. You know, it's a priority that needs to happen. We have to abide if we're going to bear fruit. Abide. That's, it's the same. This word abide is translated different ways, this Greek word. It's translated continue, to remain, to, uh, uh, to stay, to dwell. And it's, it's, it's that continual daily union with Christ is what it is. This verb, is a, it's in the imperative in the Greek. That means it's a command. It, abiding is something we, we, we're commanded to do. We're commanded to do. It's a decision that we make. It's our part of this fruit-bearing thing. We need to stay connected, abide. Abide in me, Jesus says. Now, I believe there's degrees of abiding. You know, sometimes, I believe if we're honest, we can admit sometimes we're closer to the Lord than others. We're staying close and connected, and there's a closeness. And other times we're distracted for whatever reasons. We're too busy, maybe occupied with something or other things. But abiding is the key to unlock this passage. Abide. Live close to the Lord. Live in close fellowship with the Lord. Now, how do we abide? What's the, how do we practically abide? What's the practicals that we can do? Well, number one is to be in his word. And we see that in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Being in his word, reading his word, allowing his word to change our lives is a way we can abide, abide in him. And I think we need to be focused and not distracted in this abiding. We need to have intentional Focus. Uh, when Terry Myers was here, he, he drilled home the idea of being intentional in our Christian lives. And I believe this comes to a, this abiding that is our responsibility in this fruit bearing to abide. We need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. Uh, we, need to, we need to be in prayer. And we see this uh, mentioned here as well in... Uh, that we, we can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. The, uh, the idea that these, these, this being abiding and prayer go hand in hand. Well, you know, if we, if, if, we are, if we stay close fellowship with the Lord, like he's asking us to here, I believe we will have a successful prayer life. And obedience, living in obedience. In, uh, in verse 10 there, it says, If you keep my commandments... You shall abide in my Father's love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
So we need, there's things that we need to do in this abiding. There's some practicals, and that's our part. But you know, now the second half of this abide, it says, abide in me, and Jesus says, and I in you. I in you. Abiding in, in me is our responsibility. It's a command that God gives us. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. So here we see the... If we stay close, if, if you will stay close to me, Jesus says, I will fully abide with you. And what a promise. And he is faithful. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Another verse in James. If you, uh, if as we trust and obey, you know, his presence is made real in our lives. His promise to abide in us is conditional on our abiding in him. And in verse 4, it says, you know, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. This takes care of any pride that we could take for ourselves. You know, this true fruit has nothing to do with us. Nothing. But it's Christ working through us. We bear fruit. You know, we don't produce it. We don't manufacture it. <clears throat> and uh, as the branch in verse 4, there it says, uh, as Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it bide in the vine. It gives us that illustration and it says, neither do you. Uh, nor more, no, no more can ye except you abide in me. Abiding. As the branch, neither can, abiding is the secret to experience the fullness of God's presence in our lives. And uh, to abide in Christ is to live in constant dependence and total obedience to his commandments. In verse 6, Jesus speaks to the one who does not abide. And it's, uh, it, 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 it's sobering. Thinking about he cuts it off and throws it away. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. They're cut off and thrown away. And then they dry up. They wither. They shrivel up. And then they're gathered. You know, they're gathered just like the tares are gathered up in Matthew 13 and cast into the fire. The fire of divine judgment, the fire of eternal hell, the unquenchable fire. The Bible talks about the lake of fire, and they're burned, and that's the eternal torment. Jesus says the one who does not abide will be damned in eternity, in hell for eternity. And verse 7 is a stark contrast. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. There's a stark contrast, you know. It just, it just, the uh, God's will for the Christian is much fruit, much fruit, and God will do all His part to make it happen, and it all comes back to our uh, our abiding or our lack of abiding that will make the difference. Then He goes into we see promises for the abider. I see four promises that, are, that he gives here in these verses for the, the branch that, that abides. In verse, the first one is answered prayer. 
In verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done for you. So if you abide in me, if you stay close to me, if you remain in me and stay connected to me, my word will be close to you, will be in your heart, will be inside you. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, notice what happens. You're going to ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Promise of answered prayer. It's not the health and wealth and the prosperity gospel. That's not at all what it's talking about. Our prayer is in connection with his word abiding in us. We can't miss that. His word abiding in us, when we ask in that context, our prayers will be answered. Every prayer then will be through the lens of of the word in us, in our hearts. You know, John, uh, back in chapter 14, he used the same v- words of the, uh, the greater works will I do. And, uh, and he says there it, it, that when you ask what you will, it'll be done to you. And there it's assumed that when you, you ask anything in my name, it's referring to things advancing the gospel, not the health and the wealth and the prosperity. So the promises for the answered prayer is the promise for the one who abides, one who abides. Second thing we see here is the assurance of salvation in verse 8. Here, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Fruit bearing brings glory to God, especially the much fruit. You know, just like any farmer, a good crop brings satisfaction. A beautiful garden, you know, you, you know there's somebody behind that taking care of it, the gardener. It's a reflection on the gardener. Fruit bearing in a Christian's life is a reflection on God the Father. And we saw how God is actively involved in uh, our spiritual lives. And, and then it, we, it gives us the assurance of salvation. Bearing fruit is one of the... Uh, a proof of being a child of God. Having that love and that joy and that peace and that Christ-likeness in our hearts. You know, you can't fake supernatural fruit. You can't fake your response, a, a proper Christ-like response to a wrongdoing. It's, 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 it's the fruit coming, coming out. And... And he gives us the assurance that God is at work in our life. It proves that you're one of his disciples. And thirdly, we see that it, 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 it's another promise to the abider is his love for us. You know, the motivation to abide in him is his love for us. His love for us should motivate us to to abide. Let's read verses 9 and 10. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this word, uh, the motivation to abide in him is Jesus' love for us. Jesus' love for us. Now how do we abide in his love? How do we stay there? By keeping his commandments. 
In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, a prerequisite for abiding is keeping his commandments. It, it's right here. Obedience is not just a suggestion. It's, just, it's at the core of Christianity. We saw it in our Sunday school lesson. Obedient. God is looking for obedience. Obedience honors God. And then God will turn around and honor our obedience. He will bless us. Disobedience is what cuts us off. We need, God wants our obedience. And that's when this, we're connecting to, when we're connected to the vine, when the branch is connected to the vine, we're, and we're living an obedient life, the sap is going to flow. And I believe disobedience is when it, there's a, uh, a malfunction. And it's, it's, it says here, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments. So the motivation to abide in him is our a love. Because he loves us, we're motivated to keep his commandments. And o- obedience brings the blessings of fruit. And then lastly, we see the joy in verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might be full. So now what things did he just speak about? What's he talking about here? These things. I believe he's talking about the truths that we were looking at. These principles. And he says, I have, these things I have I spoken unto you that your joy might be full. You know, the loving father, he, he prunes us out of his love. Uh, and his love motivates us to abide in him. And then we keep his commandments. And, we, and, and the result is my joy. My joy I give to you. Just like in the prior chapter, he said, my peace I give to you. Now here he's saying, it's my joy I give to you. It's not, a, uh, it's not something like it, but it's the real thing. It's his joy. And we know the Bible tells us that he was a joyful person. Who, uh, Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Despising the shame is set down at the right hand of God. And we have this precious promise. Jesus, who was joyful, that never had an unjoyful time. And he says, my joy I give to you. My joy. And how much of it? It's full. Full to the top. Overflowing. It means to be complete. To be complete. So in closing, we have the uh, verse 16, just touch on it here yet. It says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. As we have been chosen by the Father... To bring glory to his name. You know, God wanted out of the children of Israel glory to his name. To be a light to the Gentiles. And that's what God has chosen us, you and I, to bring glory to his name. And we do that by bearing fruit. God's purpose for those who are saved, that they should go and bear fruit. And the goal is much fruit. Not a little much fruit. We see the progression there. He talk, first he talks about fruit, 
then it's more fruit, and then it's much fruit. And I believe that's God's heart because it's nothing that we're doing on our own. It's about, it's, it's through him, through him. So may we stay connected to the vine. Remember the verse in G, in, in, uh, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our part is to abide to remain, to stay in close connection with the Father. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this section of verses that you gave to the 11 there the night before your crucifixion. And Father, we thank you that we have these words for us today. And just as they were special to them, help them to be special to us. And Lord, help us to remain in you, to abide in you. Lord, we thank you that you are the source, that we don't have to do it on our own, that all we have to do is stay connected to you. Lord, help us to stay connected. Bless everyone that is here. May we be fruitful for you. We pray this in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.